Surah Al-Alaq is a Meccan surah, so it was re revealed very early on in the Prophet Sallallahu message and his prophethood. And the reason for revelation of the first five ayahs is different from the reason the rest of the surah was revealed. So we know that different surahs were not revealed all in one go all the time. So the first five ayahs of Surah Al-Alaq were the first five ayahs ever to be revealed to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu They are the first revelation he received. The second set of ayahs, after the first five, were revealed slightly later on in his message, but still very, very early on uh, in the Meccan period when the Prophet ﷺ was a, with his companions, a struggling minority. So what is the first story? The first story is the story of the beginning of revelation, when the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith of Aisha would repeatedly go to the cave of Hira in order to get away from society, to reflect, to think. Um, and in this time, the angel Jibreel appears to him, descends on him, and tells him, Iqra, read. And he presses him tight and he, he says this three times. And the Prophet's response every time is, Ma'ana I don't know how to read because he was not literate. He did not know how to read and write. And that was one of the proofs of, of his prophethood, that this is a man who doesn't know how to read or write, but yet he's producing this literature, this Qur'an of such high caliber. How could it be? Um, so, so... Then uh, Jibreel السلام, tells him, Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Read in the name of your master or your lord who created. Khalaq al-insana min alaq, created human beings from a small clot. And so uh, the, these, that's the context in which these five, first five ayahs were revealed. The second part of the surah have a different context, which is the context of the, uh, corrected in Jamia Tirmidhi, the context of uh, Abu Jahl. Now Abu Jahl is a man by the name of Amr ibn Hisham who is one of the greatest, biggest enemies of the Prophet And so one day he passes by Muhammad praying salah next to the Maqam of Ibrahim. If you've ever been to the Kaaba or Mecca, you know that there's a, there's a place called the Maqam of Ibrahim right next to the Kaaba where the Prophet Muhammad was praying. So Abu Jahl remarks to him, Ya, ya Muhammad, Alam anhaka an hadha, O Muhammad, did I, didn't I stop you from doing this? Didn't I tell you you're not allowed to do this prayer thing that you do? And, um, you know, if you don't stop this, I might, I'm going to hit you, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. He threatens him. And the Prophet wasallam, he responds sternly and firmly. He doesn't give in. So Abu Jahl says, don't you know, Muhammad, that, that if I were to call somebody, uh, loads of people would be able to, would come. Don't you know that I, am, I have so many companions and friends and, and people to call to when it comes to help? So don't, basically, don't mess with me. Don't, don't respond to me like that. Um... And this is when the ayahs in this surah, فَلْيَدْعُ نَادِيَهْ سَنَدْعُ الزَّبَانِيَهْ Allah says, let him call whoever he wants to call to fight Muhammad We will call the guardians of, of hellfire, the angels of hellfire to come and deal with him. Um, and so Abu Jahl turns away, Amr ibn Hisham, he turns away from the Prophet Muhammad and he doesn't call anybody to, it ends there, the story ends there. Um, and the Prophet says that if he had called anybody, uh, in order to attack me, Allah would have summoned the angels of, um, of hellfire there and then. So th that's the context, the sabah nuzul the, the, the reason for revelation around both parts of this surah. The first five ayahs of this surah are entirely about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminding or, or informing the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and by extension all of us about one particular blessing of the many favors and blessings Allah has given us. And that is the blessing of knowledge and specifically written knowledge. 
So Allah uh, begins his, his, this surah by saying, Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. O Muhammad, read with seeking the blessing, the assistance of the one who created. What did he create? Allah continues to specify. Um, here initially, khalaq, it means Allah is referring to everything. That read in the name of, in the, with the assistance of, uh, with the blessing of Allah who created everything. So he hasn't said, specified yet what he created. In the next ayah, Allah then specifies it further. What creation he's specifically targeting or, or referring to. Out of all of his creation, Allah chose the human being to talk about the human being. Because um, Allah mentions in the Quran, There are so many signs to reflect on and ponder on, even just within the human body. So Allah points to this great creation, this amazing, profound creation of his. But this amazing, complex creation of Allah, this human being, Allah says, He created this human being from a alaq, from a clot of blood. And, and that's, in, that's essentially where we come from. We don't, we're not born as fully formed human beings, we come from a tiny clot of blood. So this, this statement from Allah is, is, uh, makes us humble and have some humility to know that we were nothing. And Allah is the one that shaped us and formed us in this beautiful complex process to make us human beings. Allah continues, Iqra, again he repeats the command to read, to put emphasis on, the, on this idea, on this command of reading. Read, O Muhammad. But this time Allah is not, Allah clarifies that this command is not coming from a fearful Lord who wants to, you know, dominate you, O Muhammad. Read, Allah says, الأكرم, He describes himself, the first quality he describes himself with in terms of order. In this first ever revelation, this first ever speech he gives to the Prophet wasallam, he says, read and your Lord is most generous, most bountiful. You know, what, a, what a beautiful way to describe himself and what a beautiful way to start by, by, by informing the Prophet wasallam, of who he is. Your Lord is the most bountiful, the most generous. How is he generous? Allah continues to explain and to clarify how, what, what is the most important or the most profound form of his generosity. The fact that he taught with the pen. I.e. a human being can learn through so many ways. Allah says, He taught man or human beings what they did not know. So here when Allah mentions his generosity, he mentions one specific blessing that he has, that he's given us, which is the ability to learn. And he specifies that even further, the ability to learn through writing. And some scholars mention he mentioned writing because it is knowledge when it's written down, it's knowledge that is never lost. It's, it's black and white, it stays there forever. So this whole idea in these ayat of Allah pointing us to the profound ni'mah, the blessing, that we were nothing. We were clots of blood. Allah says in the Quran, "Who He brought you out of your mother's wombs, not knowing anything. You had zero knowledge. Then He gave you faculties to gain knowledge, hearing and seeing, and afida minds or hearts, so that you can be thankful. And through these faculties, through our eyes, our ears and our hearts, we learn. But there's one specific form and mode of learning that Allah is giving a lot of honor to here, which is written knowledge. Um, and indeed, this religion was passed down generation to generation through written knowledge, through, through scribes and through recording and, and memorization. Um, one, more, one more important subtlety here is that in, this, in these first five ayahs, 
When Allah mentions He creates the human being, straight after talking about reading, Iqra, Bismi Rabbika Ladi Khalaq. What does reading have to do with Allah's creation? Or Allah being the creator? And Shaykh Salih al Usaymi mentions that this, uh, this refers to the idea of worship. That if Allah creates human beings, He wouldn't just leave them without telling them what to do or what not to do, how to live a good life, how to take care of their bodies, how to um, pass the time in this world in a productive way. So Allah would inform them and tell them. And that comes through reading, through knowledge. So that's the, the link between Allah's mentioning His creation and the blessing of reading and knowledge specifically in these ayat. The second part of this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turns our attention um, to a different matter of concern, which is the opposition that the Prophet Muhammad experienced when he was in Mecca. And the story that I mentioned earlier, the story of Abu Jahl, a particular man who was of extreme opposition and, uh, and, and really gave him a difficult time. Um, in this situation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he turns our attention. Um, Allah says, Allah says, no, uh, the, the human being is or can be rebellious, can be oppressive. And why, why, why would a human being rebel against Allah? Why would they oppose Allah or Allah's Messenger? It's because Have you seen that they are? They have istighna. Istighna in the Arabic language is to think that you know uh, that you don't need anybody. You are you are needless. You are and and the meaning here is that Abu Jahl, his the reason of his rebellion and his attacks on the Prophet One of the reasons was his wealth and his riches, and he thought he never didn't doesn't need a god or, or a prophet or a religion or anything else to regulate him. That he had enough. Inna ila Rabbika Allah turns his attention and begins to speak to Abu Jahl. So he stops talking in the third person and Allah begins to talk in the second person. He says, you. He says, oh, Abu Jahl, you will be returning to your Lord. Don't forget that. And now the, the tone of the surah uh, begins to be more harsh and more, 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 uh, more of a warning towards Abu Jahl. And people similar to him will oppose Islam in any way, shape or form. That they will return to Allah and they will be questioned. Just because they have power in this world doesn't mean they're going to have power forever. Allah then turns us to the specific situation in which the Prophet was stopped from Salah. He was stopped and not allowed to pray Salah and he was threatened over this by Abu Jahl. Allah says, have you seen the person who, who prevents people from praying? Abdan idha salla. And here when Allah says, Abdan, he means the Prophet Muhammad So to rephrase Allah's question, have you seen the one, i.e. Abu Jahl? Who stops our slave or a slave, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, from praying? in kana He asks Abu Jahl these questions. Do, did you not think maybe this person praying salah is guided? Maybe he's he's doing what he's doing based on some correct information. Maybe he is by praying salah encouraging people to do good. He's not doing something evil. in now Allah starts beginning to talk about Abu Jahl rather than the Prophet Have you seen if this person, this Abu Jahl, this enemy of Islam has kind of rejected and turned away? Does he not know that Allah sees all, that Allah sees and hears him? Specifically seeing. No. If Abu Jahl does not stop what he's doing, 
Allah begins to, to uh, return the threat and return the fear to Abu Jahl's heart just as he is doing to the Prophet Allah says no if he doesn't stop we will grab him by his forelock the forelock and nasiya is the kind of the hair bunched at the front of your head uh, and Allah mentions this elsewhere in the Quran that when people are thrown in hellfire they will be taken with their forelock and with their feet and they'll be chucked into hellfire they'll be thrown into hellfire we will grab him by his forelock a lying sinful sinful forelock Allah is describing Abu Jahl but he describes the forelock his hair instead and this is a form of of um, of ta'addi in the Arabic language it's a, it's a way of it's a rhetorical device that, for example, if you were to hit somebody, and I would say that hand that hit, that punched that person is a sinful hand. It's a lying hand. It's a crime, a criminal hand. Now, obviously, I'm not describing the hand. I'm describing you. So this is a form of emphasis and kind of um, of severity in, in the language. Allah then says in response to Abu Jahl saying to the Prophet that oh Muhammad if you pray I'm going to call I'll call my friends and my comrades and we're going to come and we're going to deal with you Allah says let him call whoever he wants to call we will call the guardians of hellfire who are responsible for punishment and they will come and deal with him straight away so once Allah has, has said this uh, to Abu Jahl and then spoken about Abu Jahl now Allah finally in the last ayah of this surah he turns to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He says, "Kalla, la tuti'hu, wasjuda waqtarib." Oh Muhammad, don't obey him. No, don't obey him. Don't listen to him. Ignore him. You do sujood. You prostrate in front of Allah and come close to him. You wasjuda waqtarib. The question arises: Why did Allah mention sujood? Why did Allah mention? Why didn't He say salli waqtarib, pray salah and come close to Allah? Why did He mention? Sujood, the, the position where you put your, your head on the floor. The scholars say, Sheikh Saleh al mentions that this is because um, as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in an authentic hadith, أَقْرَبُ مَا يَكُونُ الْعَبْدُ إِلَى رَبِّهِ وَهُوَ سَاجِدٌ That the closest a person can be to Allah is when they are in this position of sujood. So a person should, if you're in sujood, if you're in that position, you should do a lot of dua in that position. That's what mentioned, what's mentioned in the hadith. And so we understand from this that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet وسلم, don't bother with his insults, don't bother with his opposition, don't bother with his enmity. You continue doing what you're doing and specifically fall down, put your head on the floor and submit to Allah and he will be your helper and he will be your aider against the oppressors, against the enemies, against people who give you a tough time. An important thing to mention is that this last ayah of the surah is an ayah of sujood. It's an ayah of sujood tilawa according to Imam al-Shafi'i, which is that it's an ayah that once you recite this ayah, you should go into sujood, you should go into prostration. Um, and you should say, there are particular du'as that you can say in sujood tilawa Now, um, here are a few points of reflection on this surah. The first one is, think about the knowledge that you and I have, the information we've learnt. Do we really value the things that we've learnt through seeing, hearing, reading? Do we act on that knowledge? And also, what if Allah took away our eyes or our, our ability to understand our minds, if Allah took away our ears, how that would limit us in being able to learn and understand? 
you know, knowledge is, is what Allah made, gave Adam alayhi salam, the Prophet Adam alayhi salam, and differentiated him from all his other creations. Allah said, وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا Allah taught Adam all the names, the names of everything. ثُمَّ عَرَضَهُمْ عَلَى الْمَلَائِكَةَ Then he presented it to the angels. And so the angels fell down in, sujood to him. He was honored by knowledge. So knowledge, having the right knowledge, and acting on that knowledge and being productive with what we learn is something that raises our status and is something that we are honored by as human beings. That's the first thing to understand. The second thing is this, the specific importance given to writing. You know, many of you may be watching this video, but you may not be taking notes. And our Prophet, uh, and in, in an athar, so in a, in a narration by one of the Prophet's companions, it is narrated that one of them said, um, that knowledge should be captured and stored by writing. So this is something that we should try and get in the habit of doing. The next point, the point, a point for reflection and, and a question really to all of us is the story of Abu Jahl and the story of how he opposed the Prophet It's not something that only happened in that day and age. Even till today, there are so many people that hate Islam and they, they, they oppose Muslims. And they want Muslims to stop praying Salah. And, you know, specifically, there are examples of the Christchurch attacker who came into a masjid and, you know, uh, gunned down a load of Muslims. He didn't want them to pray Salah. And Allah doesn't discount such people. He speaks to the enemies of Islam. Allah says, don't you know that there is somebody watching, that there's a creator watching you? Allah appeals to their instinct. Allah tells them, at the very least, don't you think that this person praying Salah is doing something positive, something good, calling to guidance? Maybe he's upon guidance, encouraging others to do good. Uh, consider the, the humane traits of this person. So, uh, the enemies of Islam are, are a category of people that will stay forever, they will always remain. But how we respond to them is the response of resilience and strength. Don't compromise your religion for them. Don't change your values for them. Don't change your name for them. Don't change who you are for them. Stick and, and hold firmly to who you are and what your values and beliefs are. You know, there's a saying, if someone um, falls, if someone uh, doesn't stand up for something, they fall for everything. So the moment we start compromising, changing our religion to appease people who don't like Islam in order to make them happy, uh, today it's one thing we change and tomorrow we'll change our entire religion just to make people happy. Um, so the point of this, of this second part is Allah teaches us that when the going gets tough, when people oppose Islam, when people try to put heavy restrictions on us, um, when, when we face Islamophobia, the, the action that we have to do is, one of the actions we have to do is, number one, be resilient and give a strong response. And number two is, وَسْجُدْ وَقْتَرِبْ Don't fall into the trap of obeying them, but also turn to Allah. Go into sujood and plead with Him and ask Him. Wallahu a'lam.